Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. For the promise that he, Abraham, would inherit the world. Now right there, I find that an interesting statement. Would inherit the world. Now, God told Abraham in Genesis that he would inherit a tract of land as far as he could see to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and he had to walk around and claim the land. Was that the world? Or is we're talking about something else here, more than the promise to the territory? The promise was that he would have children like the stars up in the heaven and the sands by the seashore. An old man and an old woman would have so many kids they could not be counted. That's the reference here, more than anything else, inheriting the world. Through him, Messiah would come, the king of the world. So, yeah. For the promise that Abraham would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. Mm. So... <clears throat> To be an heir of Abraham is to have the faith that Abraham had. He is the father of faith in this respect. And it was faith that brought righteousness, not works. And it was faith that applied the promise to him, not the law. So we are called also to have faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. If it's just those who obey the law who are the heirs, faith is useless, it's meaningless, it's null, it's void. The promise is void. For the law brings wrath or gay. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. And that brought up the subject last time of antinomianism, a concept that the law plays no role at all in the Christian life. Now, that idea, however, is foreign to Pauline thought. For while the law doesn't play a role in establishing the promises, and while the law doesn't play a role in establishing righteousness in your life, the law does play a role in Pauline thought. As we find out elsewhere, it plays the role of showing us how far we fall short of God's expectations for us. How much we need a Savior, Jesus. How tragically lost we are by our own abilities. So the law plays a role. It plays an important role in showing us our condition in Pauline thought. 
So Pauline thought is not antinomianism, even though some people would like it to make it such. And some people like to accuse Paulinists, people who follow the theology of Paul, of being antinomians. It's simply not the case. Any questions? I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with the term antinomian. Antinomian, from the Greek word nomos, meaning law, anti, meaning against. Nomianism and antinomianism. Nomianism would believe, is the belief that the law is primary. That's good Phariseeism. Mm -hmm. Antinomianism is the belief that the law is meaningless. All right. If you get a nomian and an antinomian together, they explode. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's an old joke. Okay. I'm, okay. Abraham, is he telling the story about Abraham and trying to make a point, or is he really saying... I know what the antinomians are saying. They're saying that we can use that verse. I think that's what we discussed last time. Yeah, they can use that verse, or they try to, yeah. by plucking out of its context. And it, what he means here, for the law brings wrath. If you are going to depend upon the law for righteousness and, and for to obtain the promise, you're not going to get anything but the orge, the, the, the wrath of God. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. Where did that come? Why did you decide to add that? Did we know? He didn't really need that for the rest of the paragraph, did he? I don't think so. But it does, I mean, you can leave that out. It it says the same well, thing. you could, but I, I, he's probably part of a greater argument. You talk about the law elsewhere too, and he's trying to downplay the importance that the Jewish Christians are placing on the law and in the importance of keeping the law. And what he is saying is, nah, it's not keeping the law that makes you righteous. It's not keeping the law that saves you. It's not keeping the law that makes you an heir of Abraham. It's faith. Faith is what makes you an heir. Faith is what makes you righteous. Faith is what saves, not Keeping the law. Keeping the law simply, or trying to keep the law and failing, brings wrath. Yeah. And if you're not depending upon the law, then you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I can see that, but to take it that one step further, I don't see where there's a connection at all between, okay, you can say, okay, there is no law, don't worry about it, but don't say there is no law, there is no sin, or there is no transgression, or there is no... This isn't a transgression. If taken out of context and and utilized as the totality of what Paul is saying here, yeah, it could be used that way. You can you can teach anything you want from the Bible. I mean, the the Bible <laughs> can be used to support any position you want to support. Trust me, it can be done. I've seen it done, but that doesn't make it right. <clears throat> Yes. The um, you know, it, it, I guess it's like if you're driving down a, a road, and if there's no speed limit, you can drive as fast as you want, and you know you're not going to get in trouble if you're driving 60 or 70 or 80 or 40. But if there's a speed limit and you drive whatever speed you want, then you're now transgressing, or you're actually it's a brilliant line. illustration mm -hmm. because. If you're driving down a road that has a 40 mile, a 30 mile per hour speed limit, and it's a windy road, and you are 
driving that road and obeying the speed limit, you're doing well. If there's no speed limit sign there and it's the same line he rode and you're going 75 miles per hour, you're more than likely to have an accident. It's not the speed limit that, that keeps you from having the accident. It's you're driving a proper speed, the appropriate speed on the road. And it's not breaking the speed limit that's the problem. It's having the accident. It's not breaking the law that's the issue. It's having the accident of falling short. The reality of falling short. The nature of falling short. Of the glory of God. Everybody who tries to keep the law, he's kind of pointed out more than once, mm -hmm. is going to fall short. It, precisely. Precisely. If you try to be righteous by keeping the law, you're going to fail. You can't do it. We find that impossible. All we can do is approximations of a thumbnail sketch of what we think is important from the law, and then we only do a 95% job on those particular ones at best and for a limited period of time. Forget about the whole thing. All the time. So if that's your standard for salvation, if that's your standard for righteousness, you're in trouble. Well, it, 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 confusing ethics, you know, within a society versus God's law, <laughs> you know, gets you down that 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 track as well. Trying to equate righteousness with being good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> with with with. With, with good ethics. Right, and so we could think that we're absolutely fine people if there's no law to mm -hmm. to look at, but you know, if, if, if the, a law is there and it says you're doing something wrong, then all of a sudden you realize, wow, even though culturally it's okay to do that, you know, that law tells me I'm in bad shape. Or the reality of the circumstance, the fact that you're going too fast, to use the illustration, for the conditions on that road or the conditions of the road, the weather or its structure or whatever. The law may say you can go 50 miles an hour, but due to the conditions, you need to be going 20, regardless of what the law says. But or if there's no law. Yes? By law, you're talking about the Jewish law. Yes, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. So... All the Mosaic Covenant. All their different laws. Deuteronomy. All right. But not numbers. When Paul is talking about the law in Romans, he means the Mosaic Covenant, which is inclusive of the Ten Commandments and all the rest. All the Jewish laws? And Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Would he then include to his question... Anything that's not in our Genesis, Exodus, case, um, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Because obviously as, as the Jewish people progressed and became the keepers of the law, they adapted other rules. So by the time you get down to James and Paul, the law might have encompassed more. The question is, is the law inclusive of the Mishnah and the Talmud, the other traditional interpretations of the law? that are used to then apply the law to everyday circumstances. For instance, well, the Ten Commandments do not work on the Sabbath day. What 
just what what quantifies work what I, what makes work is it a violation of that commandment to eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath day when it says you shan't work and your animals won't work and the answer was according to their interpretations found in the Talmud and Mishnah their interpretation was it would be a violation of that law to eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath day, but it would not be a violation of that law to eat the chicken that is hatched from the egg that was laid on the Sabbath day. Because the chicken had to work to lay the egg, but no work was involved in the hatching. So, so we lay, lay aside everything, Ten Commandments, everything, and go with... What? You just ate. That's it. Does this... The Torah and the Mishnah. Does it equal righteousness? Keeping it. Does it equal righteousness? Ultimately, yes. But since we can't do it, God has established another method which predates all of this. And it's called faith. Because all of this truly is impossible without faith. True faith. Active belief and trust. Everything that peace this means. An action based upon belief sustained by confidence. All of the law is truly impossible without faith. Right? And therefore, the law is what it's built upon. Which is the argument Paul is making. Therefore, instead of going through the law to gain righteousness, you go through faith, that which the law is built on. Just as Abraham faithed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Instead of trying to keep the law to be righteous, you exercise faith. And that is counted to you as righteousness. So it is pointing out that if you could keep the Torah in all of its manifold panoply of characteristics, every single jot and tittle from the instant you're born to the instant you die, if you could keep the complete Torah without fail every instant of your living, you could be classified as righteous. But we can't. Hence the need for the Mishnah, the Talmud, interpretive of the law, try to apply it so that you can know how to try to do it. But even that fails. Instead of going through this route, go through the route upon which the ability, if it existed, to do it is rested, and that's faith. And there is one person who had the ability to do it and did it, and that's Jesus. And it's his faith that we are called to have. Remember, the faith of Jesus, we're called to have it living in us. It's to become a part of us, transforming us, enabling us. We also call that grace. Okay, if you don't have that, what? and you have faith, uh -huh. what is your next step to have the appearance of 
What rules? <laughs> it is God's life living within you, the faith of Jesus living within you, transforming you so that not by a keeping a list of rules, but by living in accordance with the life of Christ in you, with the mind of Christ in you, you start to change. You start to transform. And you discover the things you wished you used to wish you could do, you find yourself not wanting to do anymore. God starts to change you. Transform you. Little by little, step by step. And we call that sanctification. It's not by keeping a list of rules. It's by living in faith. I just always thought the Ten Commandments were pretty good rules. They are good rules. <laughs> They are good rules. They serve as a measuring rod by which you can see how your life of faith is progressing. But keeping them won't save you. And there's a difference too. I, I like the analogy of looking at it at, from a child's perspective and a parent's perspective in that you may have rules as you're raising your children. But I think as a parent, the ultimate goal is for the children not to obey the rules because they're going to have consequences or because they're there, but to obey them because they really see the value of wanting to do that because they want to please you, the person who's made the rules. They know it's the right thing to do for them. Exactly, because if they're just keeping the rules because they're the rule and not wanting to do it. They see positive value for themselves and they trust in the one who established the rule. Think about it this way. That road, that windy road with a 30 mile per hour speed limit on it, uh, do you obey it because there's a guy? There could be a guy around the corner with the radar, radaring you, or because if you go faster, you you could have an accident and go off the cliff. You obey it because you could have an accident and go off the cliff. You know what's the best course for you. Most and, of the time, I actually do the radar thing. And you well, <laughs> see, that's the human nature. Unless it's You're right. That's the human nature. And it takes faith. And the one who established that speed limit, that that is an appropriate speed. Okay, you finally said something that I've been wondering about this transition that we, we haven't talked about. You said faith in right there. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it make sense, I think? you got to get through the faith in that one who made the rules. Yes. The ultimate goodness before you have the faith of That's a big, That is a big chunk of it. Yeah. yeah. And you have to have the faith in first. Having probably. faith in brings faith of, Thank which you. brings more faith in, which brings... It right. is a synergistic function. But it's difficult to have the faith in for a lot of people. Yep. So how are they going to get to the faith of? How are they going to get to the faithing thing before they have the faith in? You have faith in, which is in general, it's, it's tiny little steps, and it's the very beginning process. You begin, you are first given grace that enables you to then see and hear the promises of God. And then you have the account of your family and your friends and your church and of the scripture, which tells you that God can be trusted, and then you take a small step of faith, trusting in God, actively faithing, and then that brings more grace, which is in fact the faith of Jesus. And so it slowly builds over time. So you must pay attention to every word that you read about Jesus in the Bible. Not necessarily. Well, that's a good idea, but <laughs> uh, but all it takes is knowing Jesus came, 
Jesus lived. He is the Word of God incarnate in human flesh. He, and th I'm giving you a, a... It could be even more narrow than this. Classic he is the Word of God in human flesh. He came and he died for you and was raised from the dead for you and therefore you can trust in him. That can be said even more simply than that. But that's, that is really all you need. Any more details are good to have. What he said in the Sermon on the Mount is great stuff. You know what? What all the other promises are uh, and, and content of his teachings, good stuff. But the basics. I mean, if you want to get it narrow, it, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. You got to remember also, it, the the early church Christians they didn't have the New Testament. Uh, when Paul was writing these letters, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't even have the full letters of Paul. They didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the teachings about Jesus. And the fact that he went to the cross and died as an atoning sacrifice and was raised from the dead. They didn't have a fully formed understanding of his divinity and humanity. They didn't have a fully articulated and formed understanding of the Trinity, although they had some idea that it was there. They didn't have all the, the, the complex doctrines of the consubstantial divinity and humanity of our Lord. None of that stuff. That stuff was hammered out later and within Scripture and then later. But they had the simple message that this is the Messiah, the, the promised anointed one of God who came and died that we might live. That was it. And that's all they needed. That's all they needed was a basic, simple, foundational proclamation. You send one of the apostles through seminary and he'd probably laugh at you with the development of the doctrinal complexity. Because none of that, while it's good to have, it's our version of the Mishnah and the, and the Talmud. It's interpretive of. That's why we have so many different denominations. Yeah. They got the law. That's exactly what I was background. saying. Yeah, they had <coughs> the law by the law, and all of a sudden, then they have this. Well, they can look over, back over, and look into the, their law mm -hmm. and, and have some stability. But I don't know. They could, if, since we don't have the law, what kind of stability do we have with. We have the law. <laughs> we do have the law. It, it serves to show us our need of Christ. It's the schoolmaster, Paul calls it. To teach us our need of Jesus. To teach us that we cannot keep God's will. Only one person did. His name was Jesus. And he kept it completely. Because he kept it completely. And we're called to have the faith of Jesus within us. That's what brings us righteousness. That's how we keep it in a sense. It becomes internal to us. No longer written and separate from us. But as Jeremiah says, written on our hearts. Which is what Paul is coming at here. It's not, the, the, it's not the law that saves. It's not keeping the law that saves. It's not circumcision that's saved. It's not dietary regulations that save. It, none of that makes you righteous. It's faith. The faith of Jesus Christ in you. Continuing and empowered by your active belief. You know, I mean, that's good stuff, and it would have been nice, and I know Paul didn't have all the doctrine worked out 
It sure would have been nice in this next paragraph where he says exactly what you said. <laughs> but if he had mentioned, oh, the faith of Jesus Christ, the one that was perfect, and he never says that here. The very next paragraph where he's explaining, saying the same thing you said. Let's keep going. Same thing you said. Yeah, go. Let's keep can, going. Can I just, one, one thing you mentioned, you said the stability of the law. You know, I think the biggest, the hardest thing about bathing when you're comparing it to the law is the law gives you this this concrete thing you can check off and you have a standing and you feel good about yourself and maybe that's the stability you were talking about versus faith there's no concrete check marks to 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 check off well, the only thing you have saying? yeah you know is right. your is your trusting and your continued ongoing trying to please god through the actions of believing and faithing and doing what god wants you to do it takes, I think, the focus off of my doing and my, of checking off the boxes and my being able to be good at that and feel good about myself that I'm okay because I've checked the boxes and puts it more in a position of trusting that God's already checked the boxes and I just have to have confidence that he, he's going to do what he promised. It's in somebody else's hands. It's not in your hands. It that's is. that's the tough. essence of it grace. Is. That's yes. the tough thing. And that's, why, and that's why it's a little harder, I think, yeah. what you were touching you on, grace. having a law that you can say, I'm okay, and feel, and then close the book and rest at night. Yeah, that Versus, makes it, keeping the law would be a whole lot simpler if you could actually do it. But we can't. We can do an approximation for some of the time. And that's the reason why they came up with the Mishnah and the Talmud and the other interpretive methods for applying the law. Because they knew, A, they couldn't keep it all. B, they didn't know uh, what parts were more important than other parts. So they established a pecking order. Well, God's not interested in that. Falling short's falling short. You miss the mark, you miss the mark, period, end of line. You can get really close, but getting close only counts in horseshoes and nuclear weapons. I mean, you know. I think it may have been when I read um, Luther's commentary on Romans, he made the point almost throughout his commentary that it's not enough to even keep it. You have to want to keep it. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you need to go through the rote and say, I did it. You can't resent it. I mean, he, and he's making the point that even when he found himself able to go through the motions of the law, he would he'd be honest with himself. I almost resent having to... Do it. To think it. So he said, it's not good enough to do it. You have to want to do it. It has to come from the inside. It has to be internal. I have to be written on your the heart. same thing. You think about talking about, and then Jesus reaffirmed that same idea. It's not enough not to do it. Did you think it? Right? So he, he, he reinforced yeah. that idea. It's not about just the motion. It's what's driving If you hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Yeah. But That's see, for idea. the rest of us true humans, you understand. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're kind of comfortable with that shallowness of the list that we cannot ever accomplish <laughs> because we can, the shallowness gives us something that that start in the transition into the in faith, having faith in versus mm -hmm. if you don't have faith in, you're not going to get the faith of. That's true. So, I agree with hey, that. Hey, shallowness can be its own reward. For the starting place. For this reason... <laughs> Now that we're halfway through tonight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, the other the perfection versus, you know, the uh, the trust that Dr. Scholars used to make the reference of, you know, what do you want from your kids? Do you want them to be perfect or do you want them to trust you? Right. And keeping the law versus having faith, it's the same question, you know. I think that keeping the law, you know, people are so busy checking the boxes, they didn't even think about the trust issue. 
Whereas if you, God just wants the trust. And by you trusting him, knowing that that speed limit's 30, knowing the person who put the speed limit sign there, and having a relationship, you'd know who that is. You say, oh, well, God put that speed limit there. I'm going to trust that there's a reason. Even if I don't see it, mm -hmm. I'm going to still, I, I want to follow it because I trust the person who set that rule there. That's a different way of... That's a, yeah, exactly. It's a small wonder that God's people had so much, God's only people, God's people had yes. all that trouble all those years with yeah. the covenant, eh? And got in trouble Repeatedly, all the time. again all and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. That's frankly that the, the Old Testament is is more the story of the of the failure of God's people to have it's, faith. It's just depressing when you It can be. It can <laughs> be. <laughs> if you focus on that negative aspect. But it makes you appreciate grace all that much more. Absolutely. It does. Exactly. And faith in the fact that prior to the establishment of this Mosaic covenant, faith was already there, provided for. For this reason, verse 16, for this reason it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. may be in accordance with grace. This may be a little bit better translation. In order that the promise may be in accordance with grace, built upon grace, empowered by grace, enabled by grace. In order that the promise may rest, be in accordance with, be built upon, empowered by grace, and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. And now, let's take out that parenthetical little statement there and just read it without the parentheses. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham in the presence of the God in whom he believed, in whom he faved, because the word there is a derivative of peace duo, who, also, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. For this reason it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants not only to the adherents of the law, there he's including the adherents of the law, the Jewish Christians, as amongst the descendants of Abraham, which they are, but not only them. And remember, he's writing this to the church in Rome, and specifically at this point to Jewish Christians of the church in Rome, and saying to them, look, it's, it, it's not the adherents of the law only who are children of Abraham, heirs of the promise. It's all those who exercise faith, including Gentile Christians. Not only to the, the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham in the presence of the God in whom he faithed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. 
We are called, my friends, to have faith, to, to share the faith of Abraham in the presence, which is exercised in the presence of the God in whom he faithed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The very creator of the universe we are in the presence of that creator and we are called to exercise our belief to faith in him hoping against hope hoping against hope normal hope would say it's impossible but divinely given hope true faith elpida is the greek word elpis is the Greek word for faith, Peter here. And it and it and it is not just wishy-washy hopefulness. It's a faith-based hope. It's not, oh, I, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. It's I have faith it's not raining tomorrow. If you're living in the Sahara Desert, there you know it's or in August in Texas, you know, you know, you know it's true similar kind of circumstance. You know based on your confidence in the promises and the one who makes the promise, you have the ability then to say this is true. That That's kind of Verse hope. 18? Huh? Was that verse 18? 18. Hoping against hope. Yeah, this version of Sintra says who passed hope upon hope. Who passed hope upon, upon hope. hope. But it, it, it brings up your point of his past hoping that produced mm -hmm. a concrete seeing of faith working out because he had faith and it worked out and he yeah. had an experience that, that enabled him to see that God was trusting. That past hope enabled him to have more hope. Kind of like what you were saying, the faith in and the faith of and yeah, it kind it of snowball. Os par elpida ep alpidae. The It is literally hope built upon hope. What is the Greek word that is the hope there? Elpis is the Greek word. Elpis. So why do you think he chose that as opposed to? Elpis um, is the Greek word. Although in, in Hebrews, you know, faith is is the substance of things hoped for. And there it's it's Elpis. And it's the same. Yeah, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and there the word is Elpis. <sighs> no, actually, it's slightly different form Elpida, but it's the same word, and it it literally means faithful expectation. Bathing expectation. You don't have it yet, but you know what's coming because you have confidence in the one who promised it, and you're going to act based upon that promise. And here it's hope that is built on that. Are they saying that Abraham, I mean, since it's Paul, you're really building up Abraham big time. Oh, yeah. Is he number two, second only to Jesus and Satan? Having the faith that this could happen. According to Paul, I would say if you were to rank them, yeah. Okay. In my opinion. But it feels like. And it's interesting because we're going to come pretty quickly here to a statement that he makes about Abraham that frankly I think is wrong. I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> Was that the weakness? <laughs> yes. Yes. Found yes. Weakness. yes. Uh, hoping against hope. Hope built upon hope. He faithed that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was said, 
so numerous shall your descendants be. Remember, that's the promise. And he just didn't believe it. He acted upon it. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, he fell out and laughed. <laughs> Isn't this the same guy that went out and got the handmaiden or somebody? Yes. Sarah said, look, I'm too old. God doesn't understand things like menopause and being old. And I'm sorry, God's crazy. I'm too old to have kids. Here is my handmaid, Hagar. Here, you take her, go into a tent over there, and generate a child because God's dumb. Now, I'm sorry. He recognizes elsewhere over in the letter to the Galatians that this business was stupid on the part of Abram and Sarah trying to get God's will done the human way. Here he just glosses over all of that. He almost doesn't even address that. He, he skips to the part where they Definitely already did the Hagar thing and then says he did in fact right. that. He skips past the Hagar business in the birth of Ishmael, the child of works. And goes straight to where Abram and Sarah actually do exercise faith. He skips the laughing at God and goes straight to the faithing. He gives them the medal of divine faith and the rest of us poor humans down here in this, you know. He gives them the medal right here of yes. divine faith. But you know what? What strong faith they had, unlike us, of course. Again, well. And they didn't. Well, wait a minute now. Well, why do you say unlike us? Wait a minute now. Exactly. Why do you say I'm like us? Because, in, because don't, don't, don't take, you're, you're taking this and you're ignoring what Paul said, how Paul describes it over in Galatians. Yes, where he, he says, look, they made this great big mess. And that's, that's you know, just going and having sex in that tent to produce a human child, trying to get God's will done your own way, is like trying to keep the law for salvation today. And only generates great big mess. Instead, you got the child of promise through a miracle action with Abram and Sarah. And that's what they should have been expecting. Okay, there he recognizes the failure and then the faith. Here he's glossing over that because he's not, he's trying not to lose the people he's talking to. He's trying to get to his point. Absolutely. Without throwing in the bit, look, this stupid idiot didn't trust God at first, generated a problem that's going to be a massive problem for, all, for, for Israel for a very long time to come. And then finally had faith. No, he skips over that. Now, you know, that's my criticism of Paul right there. I wish he had to one sentence simply said, Abraham, the father of faith, wasn't always perfect. That gives us hope too, by the way. Abraham, the father of faith, failed when he first started out and tried to get God's will done his own way. And then he exercised faith and had the child of promise. Now, if he had said that, I said, that perfect, Paul. You don't, you don't have to dwell on it, but... Doesn't, doesn't he kind of imply that in that I think it shows God's incredible grace in that it's the faith that he's wanting. Even if it's this little bit of faith amongst all these bad errors and fleshly mishaps and going your own way... What's, look at the wonderful God we have who doesn't dwell on those things mm. but picks and chooses the highlights of his life to say that's what I'm looking for 
And even if it's riddled with dozens of other things, he makes it into that book of Hebrew because the faith that he exercised, when it was exercised, was so meaningful and overpowering that that's the focus. And it's the grace that it God has. The, the, it was that faith which brought righteousness, which wiped out the failure. Absolutely. But he doesn't talk, as you said. You put it so well, he doesn't give us a break. Well, he gives us a break. Why did, why when you understand the whole thing that says you make a mistake and I've got well, I don't think it's necessarily I don't well I don't want to be that hard on Paul. I, I wish Paul he had one idea. sentence would have been nice, Paul. Yeah. But when you read the rest of Paul's corpus, you get it. You do get it. But he's not saying we can't make any mistakes. Of course he's not saying. He's, he's just, just saying, mentioning, look how great Abraham He's leaping Sarah straight he's to saying, Abraham. look at how great their faith was. And the focus and is... he's saying, I don't care about the mistakes they made. Thank you. It's, well, he's not, I'm not getting that. I'm not, the rest of his body, yes, I get that. Well, where does he, not well, right where here. Does he pound on the, fa- on the failures of the fleshliness? Because we're human and we understand our own failures. He's talking to a crowd of humans that were trying to keep the laws, telling them, you can't keep the laws. Forget it. You know you can't keep the laws. You have failings. These are your shortcomings. That's the crowd he's talking to. And he's already said all of that. Now he's saying, here's how you have the righteousness of God applied to you through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the penultimate example in the Old Testament. The father of the Hebrew people, Abraham himself, Abraham and Sarah, even though he was old and she was barren, they exercised faith. That's a very positive statement. He's already said the negative. Now he's saying the positive. In that sense, yeah, it wipes out the failure of Abraham earlier. And they already know about the failure. They know the story. They know the story. Oh, yeah, they know the story. They They already know how badly he failed. They know the story. He really doesn't need it in their case. And if he's just talking to the Gentiles who wouldn't be familiar about that, he's highlighting the faith that's the most important thing. So again, it goes to the exact same point, that it's Mm -hmm. faith. It's not about the failings. It's not about trying to keep the law. It's Hope. about faith. I think if I'm a Gentile, I'd still appreciate knowing that the yeah. big man, second only Thank to you. Jesus in faith, and didn't since, have faith. And since, all, and since the, the only scripture they like have it. is the Old Testament at this point, they've probably heard the story of Abraham. And the Gentiles probably have too, actually. I don't probably. think you could say he didn't have faith when he went into the tent. Why not? Because. He, Why would you go in the tent if you had faith? Try to produce a child. Right. To, to say, uh, you're right, God the, is going to do that. The, he just, he through just, Sarah. God told him through Sarah, and he's going to go into but in his culture, his hand But in his mindset, in his yeah. culture, his, his culture was one of her. that handmaiden is the exact same thing mm-hmm. as Sarah's. Right. That's so his culture, his, but he'd yeah. been told that Sarah was going but to But he had been told. Things. Well, that means that he had faith, but it was misfocused. Right. Yeah. In his own exactly. ability to generate the child through natural means that he can understand and comprehend and God had said it's going to be through Sarah so faith is present but it's a very weak and misfocused faith it doesn't Good, have, like to, the rest of us. It doesn't have to be perfect faith which is what he's showing yeah. hoping against hope he faith that he would become the father of many nations according to what was said so numerous shall your descendants be boy is that ever true He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Well, I mean, you know, there, that's true. (laughs) 
<laughs> Couple of times. Uh, this yeah. one says he attentively considered his own he body. Attentively. Already yeah, dead. Which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Well, he kind of did at first, but let's skip over that. Okay. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Well, you know, actually, in a sense, you know, he whined about it a couple of times. But in reality, he expected the promise of God to be fulfilled, even when he didn't see it. He tried to find a way to make it possible for it to come true by going into that tent with Hagar. So, in a sense, his trust never really kind of wavered, although he did laugh about it. <laughs> Something was fake. But he grew strong. Now, this is true. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And it ended up being that true. Otherwise, he never would have done what a human being has to do to generate a child with Sarah. Wasn't it Sarah's idea for him to do it with Hagar in the first place? Uh, yes, mm -hmm. it so, was. That doesn't but he didn't fight it. I, mean. well, <laughs> I don't blame the man. He's got to make the sacrifice. But then, but then, even though he's old and she's old, they did what human... It's not an immaculate conception or a virginal birth. They did what humans have to do to produce a child. Right. And he did it with Sarah. And we don't really know that Abraham would have done it with Hagar if Sarah hadn't brought it up. It's that Adam and Eve thing again. I yes. agree with you. <laughs> Susan remembers so it well. It was a test, and he failed. But yeah. Um, but I thought the faith, the faith later on, which I think you don't like so much about Isaac. I think there's some differences in stories about Isaac. Sure. But that faith story I like a lot more. That's a lot more faith. My his only faith son of going up the mountain, right. out, up Mount Moriah That's with faith. his only son to kill That's his faith. son. And he says, the boy and I will come back. That's fine. Talk about, and and that's an ex this is what it's this that's, that's an illustration absolutely. right here. So isn't this a great example of the progress of faith? Yes, it is. From from the weakness of Abraham and Hagar in a tent, through the process of doing what's necessary to produce the child of promise, all the way up until taking that child of promise up to sacrifice him, because God said do it, knowing that no matter what. Somehow, some way, he was going to come back down with that child. I could remember be remembering the order wrong, but wasn't the Hagar experience? Didn't that precede the institution of circumcision? It was in that order. Yes, it which was. Which I always thought was kind of funny because mm -hmm. it was a very explicit. That's correct. Right? That's so correct. It was the Hagar experience, circumcision, mm -hmm. then Sarah. Correct. No distrust made him waver. Let's finish the chapter. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And that's a continuous statement, which means while giving glory to God, he grew strong in his faith, and growing strong in his faith enabled the giving glory to God. Being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith, because of this, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words he was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, 
but for ours also, it will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who faith in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. It's dikai suin, the word dikaio, righteousness, and, and, and the, the, the establishment of it, righteousness, establishing righteousness. Justification is one possible translation. Raised to make us righteous is another possible translation. This one says, and was raised on account of the, de of the declaring us righteous. Of declaring us, oh yeah, of, of us righteous. Yes, indeed, that's exactly right. This one has justification. And, and you think about that, you know, that's the, we talked about it earlier. There is imputed and imparted righteousness. And this is imputational here. We aren't righteous yet. Just as Abraham wasn't righteous yet but was declared righteous. We aren't righteous yet, but are declared righteous with the simple faith. Faithing in God. Faithing in the promises of God. So when was Abraham, did he go from imputed to imparted righteousness? An example of imparted righteousness is going up Mount Moriah with yeah. his son That's what to I kill think. him. Yeah, I'm with you. That's an example of I imparted righteousness. He's acting in faith. You can see his trust functional, functional in his actions and in his words. I mean, it seems really gruesome, doesn't it? Going to kill your son, you know. But I know some fathers who think that's a good idea. <laughs> But that's, I mean, here he's, he's going up the hill to do it. And that's, that's an example of, yeah, in, where, where the imputation has had such an effect on him that it becomes imparted, which is what Lee was asking about earlier. Imparted righteousness, where the declaration of righteous becomes a part of your living. You're not following a list of laws that are external to you. But what are written on your heart, they're, they're internalized. They've become internalized. And it, they have been imparted to you. And so you find yourself not doing things that you used to want to do. And you find yourself doing things that you didn't care about before. Or that you didn't want to do. Well, yeah, that you denied, refused, said you'd never you know, worship God, read the Bible. Are you kidding? Are you crazy? Now you want to. Whereas used to you wanted to go out and have great big parties and sin and have a wonderful time and, and you find yourself not finding that so much of a wonderful time anymore. You used to drink until you had an alcohol blood level, not a blood alcohol level. Yeah. <laughs> used to, and, and that was considered fun and a party and it's not so much fun and a party anymore. Instead you want to do something else. God has... God's imputed righteousness has transformed you and you've become begun to reflect and show the imparted righteousness. Which is God's spirit working through you. God's spirit, the so mind of Christ really working through you. No, you can't take credit for that. No, you can't take credit for that. It's God working through you. 
The good works that you do are God doing them through you. Can you not take credit for allowing God to work through you? Because, worshiping and glorifying God like Abraham did? For instance. <laughs> is Paul's giving him complete credit? Why would you want to take credit for opening up to that? Why wouldn't you? Because you couldn't open up to that without God's grace to begin with. But if you didn't open up to it, if you had God's grace, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be accepting it, would you? If you, didn't, if you didn't have God's grace, you wouldn't be doing it. But if you didn't accept it, that grace wouldn't mean much, would it? That's true. Everything. But you oh, can't well, accept it without God's grace. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's, pre pre that's prevenient before yes, going grace. That's right, yes, so you don't get credit for it. You don't get credit. For opening up the right. brownie point. I think you should feel lucky. Yes. I think you should. you should feel fortunate and humbled that you, out right. of all these other people, had the, were given the ability the, to respond. He got, uh, righteousness was account, he was considered righteous for faith. But that's, that is not getting credit for being righteous. He got two sons out of it. That's pretty good credit. At least two. He got more than that. He got a lot more than that. <laughs> two firstborn. He got two firstborns. Okay. Are there any questions? I'm sure there are. <laughs> we begin chapter 5 next. Which is another one of those sections that's probably in the top 10 of the most important parts in my estimation of Scripture. Chapter 5 is critically important in trying to form an understanding of what salvation and righteousness are. What are you seeing? In, what are you seeing? She's reading ahead. I just look at the first two She's verses of chapter 5 because it's very interesting the way Rotherham says them. Read it out loud. Read them out loud. First two verses. Yeah, he says, Having therefore been declared righteous by faith, let us have peace towards God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 2, Through whom also we have had our introduction by our faith into this favor wherein we stand. Wow. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Re 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 repeat verse 2. Through whom also we have had our introduction by our faith into this favor wherein we stand. It's kind of like the Amplified Bible. Through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. That's interesting because I have always... Wow, I like that. I have always connected grace and faith so closely together then in many cases they are synonymous one for the other. Because grace empowers faith. Faith brings grace. Without faith you cannot receive grace. Without grace you cannot receive faith. Of course there's different aspects of, of, of grace. There's the grace that goes before you do anything including faith. But that grace doesn't save you, doesn't make you righteous. It simply enables you to to say yes. That's that's prevenient grace, grace that goes before us. It it's not righteousifying grace, therefore, but it enables faith, which 
then brings justification, righteousification, where you are declared righteous. So, so faith and grace I've often put together, almost synonymous concepts, because one fuels the other, one gains access to the other, synergistically. But the initiative is always with God, to which we respond. Hmm. Read your verse 2 again. I want to read it to the Greek, couldn't you read it in, in English? Through whom also we have had our introduction by our faith into this favor wherein we stand. Hmm. And let and, us boast in hope of glory. And the favor is grace, really. Aistain Karen into this grace. Tatuane in a estate common. Our introduction by our faith. The by through whom we have obtained through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. It's interesting it's using R in both Okay, there's something going on here textually, and I'll I'll come back with that, but I think there's a textual variant here. Tain piste, I think, is present in some manuscripts. Next week, I'll, I'll, I'll know which ones, but they're very weak because the, the Nestle Alon Greek New Testament includes te piste in brackets, which means it's, there's a question as to whether or not it's original. When you throw that into the passage, it does shift it slightly. Through whom? Mm. It shifts it slightly That's to, to our, our faith. Okay, the NRSV reads, Through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. The NASB reads, Through whom we have obtained, access, uh, obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So it's closer to that except it adds our faith. It shifts it to us. And, which kind of goes back to what he was saying in terms of it, it, yeah. it, it is an act of our faith to pee back on mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus' faith. Whereas if you leave it out, it be, you become more passive. Through whom right. we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2008 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.